Hi, I'm Heidi Bragg, and this is the very first episode of Life, Cancer, Etc. My goal with this podcast is to connect you with resources that improve your life so you can be happier, more resilient, and less stressed. And frankly, that's never more important than when you've had something really difficult happen, like a cancer diagnosis. Let's get a few disclosures out of the way. First of all, do I have any idea how to create a podcast? No, absolutely not. I'm completely learning on the fly. Second of all, am I any sort of medical expert? Nope. Third, are you going to hear my kids or my dogs or my husband occasionally knock on the door while I'm trying to record? Probably. But I hope you can see past all that as I tell you my story and as we talk with friends who have stories that may really give you some insight and some perspective when you're dealing with things that feel like they're overwhelming. So here's a little background. Five years ago, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. I'd had a history of ulcerative colitis for decades, but had been totally asymptomatic for probably about eight years at that point. I was still doing routine screenings, which is how they found the tumor. I woke up from anesthesia after having a routine colonoscopy, and my gastroenterologist was sitting at the edge of my bed with a kind of stunned look on his face. He told me, that they'd found a tumor, that it was relatively large, and that he was shocked because people with a tumor like that don't usually present like I did. I was healthy, I was exercising, eating right, whatever. I didn't look like someone who had cancer. So after that diagnosis, I had a complete colectomy, which means my whole colon was removed. Then they created a, what's called a J-pouch. I call it my Franken-colon, but they created what's called a J-pouch, which kind of acts somewhat like a colon. And at the same time in that same surgery, they took 30 lymph nodes to test and they gave me an ileostomy. So uh, at my ileum, they basically my insides were on my outsides. They put part of your intestine out and you have a stoma, which is like the hole where stuff comes out. And then you have a bag that goes over that and is theoretically supposed to stick to your skin. And so all of your stomach contents as it comes out of your stomach and everything empties into this bag. And then you empty that bag multiple times a day. And I had to have the ileostomy for three months while everything that they had done with the surgery and the creating this J-pouch healed. And to be honest, that was, that whole ileostomy time was for me one of the worst times because I had issues with bags sticking and not staying on. And it was just, for me, that was a nightmare. Some people have ostomies that are totally great and it's a lifesaver for them. And I get that. But for me personally, that was one of the most difficult things. Three months after the original surgery, they checked, made sure everything had healed. And then they did another surgery to basically put my insides back on the inside. 
And it took about 18 months, I would say, for the J pouch to start acting like a kind of like a colon. When they did pathology on my tumor, they found that I had what was called microsatellite instability. And it was something at the cellular level that was weird. So they had me do genetic testing and found out that I had what's called Lynch syndrome, which is a genetic syndrome that passes through families. And it's an MSH2 and MSH6 uh, abnormality, chromosomally. One of the things that Lynch syndrome is known for causing is a much higher risk of ovarian cancer. So I had a prophylactic hysterectomy later that year. And if you're playing at home, that's one, two, three major abdominal surgeries within a 53-week period, I think. So, you know, I just, I healed and I worked at it. I was back to exercising, whatever, feeling really good. Uh, there were no signs of any cancer in any of the 30 lymph nodes that they took. All that was great. Fast forward five years later, and, you know, I was just telling my husband, I kept saying, I'm just so tired, just so tired all the time. But I was riding my bike. I have about a four-mile loop I do most days. I was doing that. I was taking walks. I work full-time at a pretty demanding job and taking care of kids and spending time with my spouse, and I just was tired. But nothing in any tests that my doctor did showed up. So I flew out to Utah for our oldest son's graduation from college. And right before heading to, I think it was the actual ceremony, I had this period for like 15 seconds, 10, 15 seconds. It wasn't long at all where I couldn't articulate properly. I could think of the right word and everything, but I couldn't enunciate and like I said, it only lasted a few seconds and it was time for graduation. I was staying in a hotel with my mom and told her what happened. She goes, that could have been a TIA. I'm like, yeah, well, I want to go to graduation. So we went and on the way I called my neurologist and they said, if anything like that happens again, go to the ER. It could also be related to the fact that you have bad migraines, which I do. And I had one while I was there. So graduation was great. I went on from uh, graduation to a week for work in Oregon. Um, on the way home, I was really tired. I took the red eye. And at one point felt like I was kind of like stumbling a little, but I had also just woken up on a red eye. So I didn't think anything of it. I just got my bag and, and got home. And a few days later, I went to pick up lunch for my daughter and I. And I'm at the restaurant, and I can't lift my right arm. And so I used my left arm to lift my right arm, put a pen in my hand, tried to sign, and my signature was a mess. Went home, uh, called my husband, said, I think we need to go to the ER, and he took me. Now, we go to the ER, and they're doing all these tests, and they can't. They don't see anything wrong. My brother's an ER physician, and he just said, don't leave until they've done these five tests, and he gave me a list. And they had done all but the MRI and the echocardiogram. 
and they couldn't do them at the little satellite ER we were at. So I was transferred by ambulance to the major hospital, like 40 minutes away. I jokingly call it the most expensive Uber ride ever. I think it was like 800 bucks. I get there, they do the MRI, that looks fine. They say they'll do the echo in the morning. So they check me in overnight. Early in the morning, um, the tech does my echo and I get back to my room and my, I think it was my cardiologist comes in and says, um, you've got a massive tumor in your heart. He was more delicate than that. But I had a, it turns out I had a seven centimeter tumor in my left atrium. And at first everybody thought this has got to be benign because you just don't get malignant tumors in the atrium usually. So they said the tumor is really large. It's um, cutting off a lot of the blood flow. So we want you to stay in this bed. If you need anything, if you need to get up for any reason, call a nurse to help you. And we will be doing surgery first thing in the morning if you give consent. And so we did. And obviously I'm super freaked out. But on the other hand, I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm there. They have a great cardiac program at this hospital. And the, my surgeon who did my surgery is chief of cardiothoracic surgery there. And he's just, he's fabulous. So the next day I went into the cath lab first where my cardiologist, um, he's also just great, where my cardiologist, uh, you know, they'd run the camera up and check all your veins. That's where I fell asleep. And I woke up hours and hours later, 10 or 12 hours later, a little bit, I woke up in the, um, the critical care unit for cardiac patients. So they did full open heart surgery, sawed my chest down the sternum, the whole shebang. I was on bypass for hours as... My doctor took out the tumor, cut as wide of an area around it as he could, put a bovine patch on it, and so I've got cow tissue in my heart, stitched everything back up, put everything back in, um, I clipped and wired my sternum together, and sewed everything together, and I mean, I had chest tubes, I had neck tubes, whatever. Um... And they did pathology. So they come in, I think it was a day, day and a half later. I don't remember because I was really out. And they told me that the tumor was malignant. It was not benign like they had thought. And that was pretty devastating. So uh, there's a great cancer center in Tampa. I live in southwest Florida. There's a great uh, cancer center in Tampa called Moffitt Cancer Center. They're one of the top ten in the United States. And they set me up with our sarcoma specialist there, who's fabulous. And I went in to meet with him. And basically, they told us this is almost 100% fatal. And, of course, I just, you know, I'm sitting there in tears. And I'll cry when I talk about it. Because it's still just, it's still overwhelming. More on that later. Anyway, um... And they said, but there's this one chance, there's like a 5% chance if it works. 
And so we agreed to be aggressive with this because originally I just said, why should I get chemo or anything if this is just going to kill me anyway and I'm only going to last a few more months? And that's when he told me there was this little shot that, that if we took it and it worked, it could save my life. So we agreed to be aggressive with the radiation. I got 60 gray of radiation total. So two gray a day directly to the heart for 30 treatments. I have a fabulous soft tissue sarcoma radiation oncologist. And actually, I think he's going to do one of these podcasts with me and answer some questions that people have posed. And so we did it. We were really aggressive. Um, I also did three rounds of super aggressive chemo after that. And um, until literally like, I don't know, like five, six weeks ago, all of my scans and everything have been clean. I've developed some weirdness, like the, the bovine patch, the cow tissue that they put in my heart, didn't like being exposed to radiation. So it created like this little blood blister that at first they thought was a recurrence of the tumor. Um, I've had radiation scarring in my lungs because that's what happens when you give a lot of radiation. But that was a choice I made because I wanted a chance of living longer. So I heal from that. I'm healing from the cardiac surgery, et cetera, et cetera. Um, things are going pretty well. Last December on one of my quarterly PET scans, they saw something weird and then they did a more extensive scan specific to that area and found out that I had a mass in my ureter. So at the tube that goes to your bladder, right where it meets the base of the kidney, I had a tumor. And that's another kind of cancer, urothelial cancers, or any kind of epithelial cancer that's associated with this Lynch syndrome I have, this genetic abnormality. So I went in, this was right before, if I remember right, it was either right before or right after we left on a cruise that was our daughter's graduation from high school senior trip. And the first week of January 2020, I went in and had surgery. The uh, genitourinary oncologist had said, given the size and shape and placement of your tumor, it's highly unlikely that we'll be able to get it um, just by going in and do a cystoscopy, which is basically when they run a camera through your nether regions and, and check everything out. But they have to do that first before they do the surgery. He said, but just in case, I will have a laser there and the laser tech there so that if there's some way we can take care of this with laser surgery, rather than opening you up the middle again, we'll do it. And I said, great, yeah, whatever. When I woke up from anesthesia, my husband said, babe, they got it. They were able to get over 98% of the tumor just with the laser, which was frankly miraculous. So it's like miracle number two, because I'd already had the miracle of still being alive after the sarcoma. And um, they have to check that every quarter and do the same procedure. The next time they went in, there was no tumor regrowth but there was some dysplasia. There were some abnormal cells. The time most recently that they did it, no, I think they've done it two more times. The, the next time they did it, it looked great, at totally normal tissue. And this last time they did it, it had totally normal tissue, which is awesome. And here's the, here's the latest wrinkle. On my latest PET scan, which was done the end of September, and I'm recording this on November 7th, 
It's done the end of September. There's another spot of concern on my heart. And so I have a TEE on Monday, which is a transesophageal echocardiogram, where they basically go down through your throat and do an echo, but they do it from behind. And they, well, not behind, but, but they do it through your throat so they get a better picture of everything that's going on, including the back of the heart. So we'll do that Monday. And then we'll, um, I'll talk with my surgeon on Wednesday. And if the tumor is the same size as it was or larger, then I'll be doing another open heart surgery in the next couple of weeks, which sucks. But the plus is that this is on a part of the heart that one is removable, major plus, And two, my surgeon says he's got lots of different options for what he can do in that area, which is a huge blessing as well. And yes, it's the same surgeon as the last time. So, um, so I've got some background in what dealing with cancer is like and dealing with hard stuff. I also, I lost a sister to cancer over 25 years ago. She had a brain tumor, an anaplastic astrocytoma. And that is not genetically linked as far as they know. And then five years ago, I lost my dad to cancer. And he was totally healthy and then started not feeling well. And he died 10 days after he got diagnosed. So, um, here we are. Here we are. What else do you say? So let me, I'm going to go through the questions that I'm going to be asking my friends as I interview them. And, uh, talk about some of the things, for example, things I wish I'd known ahead of time or that I'd do differently if I did it again. As far as treatment, I don't think I'd do anything differently. Oh, I know what I'd do differently. I would not take benzodiazepines. To help with anxiety and nausea, one of the drugs I was prescribed was Ativan. And I know some people need it. I know some people use it for the short term. But for me... I didn't know it was as addictive as it was. And then I had to go into the hospital for some issues with my heart. This was unexpected. And I just didn't take it and didn't know you had to taper off of it. So I went having had it somewhat regularly to not having it at all and huge anxiety. And it took months and the help of a psychiatrist who could prescribe another drug to get me off the benzos and, um, And do it in a way that didn't just, I didn't keep rebounding and having this awful anxiety. That's definitely one thing I do different uh, this time around. Or if there's another time, you know, heaven help us. One of the things I learned um, was how important it was to have a good therapist. And we had a great family therapist. We still have her. We go for tune-ups, as we call them, when we need it. But to have somebody who can help you deal with things that you've never had to deal with before in this way. I call therapy just getting tools for your toolbox. And we have someone who helps us do that. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I learned. Take help from people who are offering it. Because you're probably going to feel crappier than you expect for a little longer than you expect. I was pretty strong. I was in pretty good shape. But the chemo in particular 
wiped me out. And the radiation caused, like I said, lung damage. I knew going into it that was a possibility. But you just need to be a little kinder to your body than you think you need to be. Let's see. Next question. Um, tips and tricks. Uh, I think it just... I would listen to the people around you. You don't have to do what everybody says. Everybody's got a suggestion. Um, people were very kind in trying to help me and, and offer suggestions. But you got to be able to hear that stuff and sort out what's going to work for you because everybody's different. Here's an example. Um, some friends and family said, hey, you should do a whole food plant-based diet. And that sounds great, but if you don't have a colon, that's virtually impossible because it just makes you sick and you're in the bathroom all day. So instead, I tried to add more vegetables and fruits and, um, and vegetarian products to my diet, but I didn't go completely that direction at all. Um, what else? Oh, I, I uh, used CBD oil and actually I had a to a few different doctors who said this will help, you know, supposedly this helps during chemo and my state had legal medical marijuana. And so I used tinctures under the tongue that helped during chemo a lot and helped some during radiation as well. Um, it's important to make sure you're getting decent calories in because your body's trying to repair. So sometimes it's not about how healthy the food is. It's about just making sure you have enough calories for your body. Um, freezer meals. My friend Sarah is just amazing. And she made us enough freezer meals for two weeks. And it was so awesome because she made them with her mom. And her mom had their, her mom's Catholic and they had, she had holy water, the good holy water from this particular shrine in Ireland. And so she prayed the rosary over all these meals. I'm not Catholic, but she prayed the rosary over all these meals and she sprinkled them all with holy water. And I so appreciated the love and the prayers and the effort and the time that they put into that. And I don't think they'll ever know how much that meant because it wasn't just about the food, which was great to have. But it was also just about all of the kindness that came with it that was just amazing. Um, I had tons of people at my church praying for me. I had tons of friends of various religions or lack thereof all over the world who were praying or doing meditations or sending good thoughts or whatever. And I really honestly think there is a visceral, tangible benefit to that that you just can't, you just can't even quantify. It's amazing. So if I think of more tips and tricks as we do more of these interviews, I'll add those in. But that's all that's on my mind right, right now. Um, next question, bucket list items. My husband and I have a trip planned to Sardinia in the next couple of years, and um, we're moving to Oregon, back to Oregon next year. And I wanna be around to enjoy my grandkids. I wanna have my kids be settled in relationships with awesome supportive partners, and I wanna be able to enjoy my grandkids. And the last thing is I want time with my husband. We 
this is a second marriage for both of us. And both of our first marriages were not nice. And we've been married almost 20 years. And once all of our kids are off at college, I want that time to do things with him because he's seriously my favorite person in the world. And I literally thank God every day for him. The last question, my favorite places to be. One is our house. When all our kids are home, they range from 16 to 27. So getting them all in the same place doesn't happen a whole lot. And they live all over the country. But when all of our kids are home and like we're having a meal and they're dorking around and my husband and I are just sitting there with them, that's awesome. Uh, my, one of my other favorite places is the beach. I love the beach. I go as often as I can. And the third favorite place to be, sometimes there are late nights where Kev and I just lay in bed talking until like two or three in the morning. And it's just... If you've been in a bad marriage, you understand what a gift that is. And it's incredible to be there with your best friend, the person you love most in the world, your partner in life, just talking late at night when everything else is quiet. So, uh, as I mentioned, coming up, we'll be talking with friends of mine, some of them who've had children with cancer, some of them who've been a support for somebody else with cancer, I'm talking to some of the people at the cancer center I go to because I want to get their advice. And if you've got suggestions of people you'd like to get answers from or questions you'd like answered, please send me a comment. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys can look at the world, find the good, count your blessings, and make it a great day. Thank you.